This morning we continue our series, The Good News According to Jesus Christ. And uh, I begin by inviting you to remember something. Here's what I want you to remember. Sometime in your life, whether as a child or maybe as an adult, you listened in on a conversation. Sometimes we call it eavesdropping. Other times we might call it snooping around and getting into other people's business. Remember that time. I don't know what your motivation was for eavesdropping, but on the occasion of this particular part of the Scripture, eavesdropping is okay. As a matter of fact, that's the point. Sometimes we think of prayer as a very private thing, and it is. But on this occasion, the writers of the gospel, understanding what the prophets understood, wanted us to hear what Jesus was praying. They wanted us to listen in. You see, so much of the gospels you know as well as I do are teachings, things that Jesus wanted to say to his disciples, directives concerning how to live. Think of, for instance, the Beatitudes. Teachings concerning the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God was really all about. Teachings concerning morality. Teachings concerning eternal life. And the list goes on. On this occasion, Christ is teaching, but not in the same way. He's teaching by praying. And it's different to listen in to Jesus' words, to see what was very close to his heart. Shall we say, what was most important? Especially down near the end, because this is right before the crucifixion. And Jesus prays, and the disciples listen. This prayer can be very simply divided into three parts. The first part is Jesus praying concerning himself. In the prayer, he basically says this, God, it's now time. My time has now come. We've been building towards this my entire ministry, and now the time has come. It's time, Lord, for you to glorify me so that I can glorify you. Jesus is not bragging concerning himself. He's not saying, God, shine the spotlight on me. Make me spectacular to the world. He's saying, God, glorify me by glorifying yourself. Glorify me by allowing me to complete my mission, which is the highest glory concerning God. It's so interesting how often, if you remember in the Gospels, how often Jesus makes a statement. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. He did that at the first miracle he ever did, the water to wine. My time has not yet come. 
He did it on an occasion where people realized how grand his teaching was and how he was a miracle man and they wanted to claim him as their king and he slipped away from them. My time has not yet come. What time had not yet come? What time had not yet come is right there. What time had not yet come is the cross. Its entire mission was leading to the cross. His eyes were fixed on the goal. You know, among other things, this is one of those points where we realize how different Jesus is than every other great teacher. For those of you who have studied great thinkers, teachers, philosophers, and a variety of other disciplines, you know how incredible great teachers are. You know the depth of their wisdom. You realize they say things that other people don't say quite the same way. And they bring out elements of life that you think, that's so enlightening, it helps me to understand how to live. And Jesus did all that. But what made Him different was not that He was just a great teacher. What made Him different is His mission. You see, great teachers surrounded themselves by disciples. Disciples, in large part, if they were great teachers, that actually changed the world. Disciples that were devoted to the teacher and carried out their cause or their teachings. But Jesus, near the end of his life, says there's one important thing I want to reiterate for you, disciples, and for me. My mission, my mission is to grant eternal life to those who believe by dying on their behalf. Take a moment, my friends, and think of all the great teachers. Which one of them ever said that? It was not their mission to die on behalf of others so that their life would impart eternal life. Jesus is that point and he's saying, I want to go to the cross because for this I was born. The cross proved that there was no limit to God's love towards humanity. The final glory was in the cross and the final glory to come was the ascension where Jesus would be raised again and be eternally with the Father forever. That's the first part of the prayer. Jesus praying concerning himself to God. The second part of the prayer, and if you're interested in verses, it's verses 6 through 19. That part of the prayer he praise concerning his disciples. And the theme is pretty simple. The theme is this, Lord, sanctify them. Lord, purify them. I have delivered my message. They have received my message. And now they are the sanctified ones. 
but sanctify them. Jesus, of course, is not saying they are the ones because they themselves somehow are righteous. Of course, he's not saying that. We know from the rest of the New Testament. They are the sanctified ones, God, because I chose them and placed them apart as special vessels for my service. That makes them the sanctified ones. Now, Lord, take them, those sanctified ones that I've set apart for my special purpose, take them and sanctify them. Sanctify the sanctified ones. And how does that sanctification take place? That sanctification takes place through suffering. Through suffering. There's a new stage in the sanctification process and Jesus sees it coming. They've been dramatically affected by his word. And now, since they're no longer a part of the world, since they marched to the beat of a different drummer, since they think differently than everyone else, since they're marked in a way that identifies them as Christ followers, because of that, Jesus says, you're going to face persecution. You're no longer a part of the world, so accept it. Father, says Jesus, there's a sense in which they're now like me. They are traveling on this earth with eternity in their hearts. And every part of the steps in their life, material though they seem, are steps towards eternity. The same things that were difficult for me, Father, are going to be difficult for them. Allow them, Lord, to walk as aliens and strangers. It's not a bad thing. It will sanctify them. Whatever you do, Father, don't take them out of the world. Don't extract them from the evil that's all around them. Don't give them an escape hatch. Instead, I want you to protect them in the midst of the evil. Sanctify them, Father. How? By your truth. And what is your truth? Your word is truth. Sanctify them, Lord, by reminding them what is the truth. Found in my words and later in these words. Help them to reorient everything about their life through the prism of my word. And when they walk in the world in a way that is not like the world because they've been sanctified, when they walk in the world following the Word, I want you through that process to sanctify them, to craft them into your image because they're different. The third thing that Jesus does, and this was not part of our reading, but it's at the end of that same chapter in verses 20 through 26. He prays for future disciples. Namely, you and I. The church. Those who 2,000 years later would be labeled as Christ followers. 
He says, Lord, I want you to unite them in the truth. I want them to be one as you and I were one. I want them to be one, you might say, as I and these disciples were one. I want you to unite them by your truth. That's not a statement, by the way, against diversity. That's not a statement where Jesus is arguing, I want you to be identical with one another. Heaven forbid that we are ever identical to one another. What a boring place it would be. Jesus wants to see the unity of the body of Christ and the diversity that is within it as the tool or vehicle that glorifies him. Guided by the truth. I, I've been here for almost 22 years now. I believe 22 in August. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I love this place. I love this place. You know why I love it so much? Well, there's lots of reasons, but I want to emphasize this one. We have committed ourselves to being united by the truth. And we've allowed ourselves to understand that we're different. But we're always united by the truth of God's Word. Politically different. Socially different. Well, all kinds of differences but we're still united by the truth. I'm not trying to um, give props to our church staff, but there are a few people who know how diverse we are unless you happen to be in this position. Unless you get all the email responses to sermons or devotionals or statements we're a diverse group of people. I'm not sure any of us are the same, except for one thing. We're devoted to following Jesus Christ and finding that Christ in this word. I love this place. You know what we say? I don't want to go through the whole statement of faith. But here's what we say. Sin is deep. Really deep. We're a disaster on our own. We cannot fix our own problems. We are so mired in our own sin that we need rescue. And our rescue comes through Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own. I can't find a new philosophy for life. I can't reconstruct my life in a moral sense. I must have Jesus. I must have Jesus. And that is a description 
of amazing grace. You know, grace is often described as unmerited favor. And that's true. But you know what else is grace? The recognition that you need it. That too is grace. Sin is deep. Grace is amazing. And our hope is eternal because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We stand on that, even in our diversity. When you think about our church or the church of Jesus Christ, you realize that we worship. That's one of the reasons I love Sunday morning, even in the diversity of it all, we worship. What is worship? It's an acknowledgement of the transcendence of God Himself. It's the longing of every human heart to somehow worship something that is above and beyond them. Something that is not material. Something that's not stuff. Listen to our words when we sing, when we pray, when we praise God. It's all about a transcendent, eternal God that is out there. In some way, completely and entirely out there, away from us, so different than us. But remarkably right here in the presence of Jesus Christ. And we worship. We also teach. We teach the Scripture. Just like they did in the early part of the book of Acts, that reference to the early church. They taught the Scriptures. And we fellowship together. The thing that gives me so pain, so much pain right now, we can't fellowship the way we usually fellowship together. We fellowship with one another in our diversity, and in so doing, we also fellowship with God because this is the body of Christ. When you experience the body of Christ, you experience the presence of the living Son of God. So transcendent worship and teaching and fellowship and mission. So let me pause a minute and say thank you. Thank you for being the church. Thank you for being ECC. Thank you for investing in the mission. Our mission is eternal. It's the only thing that's eternal. The church of Jesus Christ. No institution in this world can claim that as their identity. But the church can. To invest in this mission is to find life. So thank you for investing in this mission. It's interesting when you read the first 19 verses of chapter 17. You realize that most of what Jesus is talking about is his disciples. And what he says about his disciples is what he says about us. Because he ends the prayer by anticipating those disciples who are not yet born. So what about us? What is our calling? 
to share his glory. And that often means to share his cross. To place it on our backs and walk with him to Calvary. What does it mean for us? It means that that process will purify and sanctify us. Sometimes as painful as it is. I end the sermon by reminding you of what I said earlier. When we listen in to this prayer of Jesus, we find out what's most important to him. You know what's most important to him? We are. Is that amazing? The whole body of the prayer is about us. We could come become narcissistic and silly. But if we keep that and hold it the way we ought to, we realize that the Son of God is for us so that His power can be in us and we can be for Him. That's amazing. Little me, God's greatest concern. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful um, for this prayer. We're glad that the disciples pinned the prayer so we could listen in. We're so grateful for the cross that the Son of God transformed from an instrument of death to a pathway to life. We thank You, Lord, that as we read this prayer, we realize how deeply embedded in this prayer the idea of relationship is. That You invite us into a relationship with You. The way the disciples were in relationship with You. And we thank You that the end of the story, which we have not yet experienced, is that someday we will see You. That we will be with You. We were made for eternal life. O oh Lord, and we need not fear death because, in fact, it's a doorway to life, to life eternal. And for this, we give You thanks and praise. Amen.